Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jay here for Stratford Paddock, and this is the Tier 1 Transfer Podcast. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ronaldo Brown. Ronaldo, how are we doing? Doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. Bit of <laughs> a different doing, setting here today. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm in, the, in the kids' room. These aren't my posters, in case you're wondering why I've got um, Brian Robson and Roy Keane behind me. <laughs> yeah, um, and also joining us is our guest from Sky Sports, James Cooper. James, thanks for coming back on the channel. Not at all. You've crossed the streams. You've got Marvel in one corner and DC in the other. I mean, I, I'm massively into my comics, so you don't do that. It's like Nike and Adidas. You wear hey, one or the other. I, I'm in full agreement with you. I'm, in, I'm into the comics as well. Can't I do will, that. I will that speak to my children, <laughs> my son, and tell him what he's, he's let me down. He's embarrassed me or in front of everyone. <laughs> they're, they're good coaches, though. Don't worry. He gets away with it, especially Superman 1. If you had that, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Phew. That was close. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough trouble just making sure he's a United fan. So when it comes to his comics, he can he can do what he wants. <laughs> um, um, talking of United, of course, lots lots to talk about. Um, James, I'm going to kick off. I'm going to ask you a little bit about the the sort of the main talking point over the last few days has been Project Big Picture. Um, there's been a lot of um, bit of a backlash, I should say, about it. Really, um, what have you made of it? And do you think that this this plan, this project, can become a reality? I, I think it's a very difficult thing, and, and you probably wouldn't expect me to say anything else different, bearing in mind my employers. <laughs> it makes it difficult <laughs> maybe to have an opinion on this, but, I, you know, I will have an opinion. I, I, I think, having talked to lots of people, look, I think the major positive about it is it might open up a debate whereby something does happen. I don't think, ever, you know, I think we're all in agreement that basically all the ingredients that have been kind of put on the table aren't right. Some of them are, some of them aren't. And, and I think having spoken to people throughout football at different levels, I think, they're welcoming the chance to have a debate. I think there's no doubting that there's a problem in terms of finance at the bottom end of the tier. And I think there is a responsibility at the top end of the tier uh, kind of to make that count and to look after some of the smaller teams. Otherwise, I can see a situation whereby, you know, some of the teams that surround us, we've seen Macclesfield go, they albeit they're back uh, thanks to a local investor yesterday. But, you know, the likes of Oldham, the likes of Rochdale, uh, some of those smaller teams that have all had relationships along the years with Manchester United, because we're talking about Manchester United right now, I think it is incumbent on some of the the bigger cats at the top of the food chain to make sure that them some of those smaller ones uh, just carry on. Uh, whether whether that means kind of regionalised leagues, whether it means kind of feeder teams into it, I, I think you know if it was me and, and you know as well as anyone else does that my team's Ipswich Town. You know, if I didn't have Ipswich Town in my life, it would be a, a, a worse place to be. And you, and you look at the situation with Barry and things like that. You know, these people have had their football teams taken away from them. 
Um, and I don't think we can allow that situation to continue, no matter what the, the obstacles are, no matter what things are happening currently, obviously with COVID and, and, and some of the kind of money implications in the game. Something has to be done. I'm not suggesting big picture is the answer, but I think there are some answers within that. Absolutely. Did, did that Rick. sound like an answer or did that sound like a fudge? I hope it sounds like some sort of answer. <laughs> no, it does. And I, I appreciate, you know, yeah, you, you, obviously where, where you're coming from. But no, I think, you, you know, you, you mentioned there about something needs to be done. And you mentioned Macclesfield. We've seen it with Berry. We've seen it almost happen with the likes of Bolton and with Wigan. Um, and, you know, that's just Greater Manchester we're talking about. There's, I know there's clubs all over the country that have been affected. Um, and you do think that, you know, it, it can't continue. We can't see clubs going under. I've, I've got a few mates who are Berry fans and it's, they're just devastated. You know, that's their club that's gone. And I know they've had a, a sort of the, the, a new club's been formed, but it's it, obviously, you know, it's, well, it's we not the same. But I mean, something has to be done. And I mean, you know, we mm. can't keep taking the money tree of governments to get all the answers. So we have to look at other solutions. So I think if it opens up a debate where people are talking very openly and working out what they can do, I think it's great. I think there's a problem uh, in it within some of the voting rights. I don't think it can give even more power to the more powerful teams there. I think it has to be a Premier League where everyone has an equal voice. But I think equally, we need to look outside the kind of bubble of Manchester United and the top six and, and think, you know, it's about a game of football. It's about our country. It's not about, you know, six or seven teams at the top of the food chain. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Really? I have to agree with you. But now going on to like the last time we spoke, you seemed confident that United and Pogba would come to terms on a new deal. Why do you think that hasn't yet materialised? Well, first things first, I think I said he'd stay. So I was right there. So I get a tick. Yeah. I think, I think the consensus has probably changed on that with Manchester United yeah. fans at the moment, not worrying whether he stays or goes because simply... He's not playing as a bigger part in Manchester United as he was when we had last com that conversation. I think it's something they'll look at. I think there is a little bit of kind of wriggle room there, probably less than there was simply because fans haven't come back and the economic situation is as good as it was. But I think, you know, you get someone like Alexis Sanchez off the books and some of that does give a little bit more, um, I don't know, economic will or economic power uh, to give people like Pogba a new contract. But I think also... You know, a lot of Manchester United fans would like him and other players to be accountable. And yeah, it'd be great if he had a new contract and you have five more years of Paul Pogba. But what you want is the Paul Pogba that all of you want, rather than the Paul Pogba that we've seen perhaps since the last part of the last season and, and, and the early part of this season, which isn't the world-class player we know he can be, albeit, you know, you read the stuff in the French press over this week saying, you know, he's changed the French camp. He's an influence there. He's a massive positive. I'm a believer that there's a fantastic world-class player there, but the evidence right now, could you really say that he, he deserves a new contract? Probably not. Probably you know, not I, at the moment. Probably not at the moment. But I can see the argument because you, you need to give keep players under long contracts to yeah. retain their value and protect you know the the investment of the club. But that isn't someone at the moment. <laughs> arguably, none of them are playing that they want new deals and new contracts, or even playing for Manchester United at the moment, based on the last game. Uh, but, but I'd like to see a little bit more rather than this idea that just because he stayed around for so long, just because he stayed at Manchester United, he's worthy of staying a bit longer and getting even more money from Manchester United. There has to be a more powerful argument for me, born out of the way he plays on the pitch. That's a good point. Another thing you mentioned the last time we spoke is that you thought a centre-back signing for United was probably one of our bigger necessities. And obviously with the defensive frailties we've seen so far this season, how much do you think not buying a centre-back will actually cost us in the season going forward? Well, I, I've got to say, I, I think we might get away with it by not letting yeah. Chris Smalling go or, or if 
uh, Eric Bailly hadn't got an injury playing uh, international football. I think now Chris Smalling has gone, and you know I'm a fan of Chris Smalling, and you know I was kind of willing him on to yeah. get that move to Rome simply because I think everything he's done for your football club, he deserved that chance to go and play full time football at somewhere like Rome, where you know he, he was loving the life there and loving being a player there rather than being kind of you know on the bench if he was lucky at Manchester United. Now Eric Bailly is not there because he's got an injury. We'll find out perhaps on Friday how serious is that. Then you're back to where you were before. You know, a situation where Harry Maguire doesn't look as though he's comfortable playing for Manchester United right now for whatever reason, whether it's the goalkeeper behind him, whether it's the players around him. Uh, and Victor Lindelof, having been taken out of the firing line, looks as though he probably will come back in um, because Eric Bailly is not fit. Whether Eric Bailly is the answer or not is, a, is another massive issue. So I said it was a necessity. I think a lot of people have kind of echoed those thoughts over the past few weeks. I was amazed they didn't go for a centre-back simply because I think they needed them. I, you know, we were told there were seven or eight there, but, you know, of those seven or eight, are, are Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo going to play a part for Manchester United? They're not. Is Axel Twanzebe? Well, I think they'd like him to. Touchwood's injuries situation improves this season, but again, he's not an option. And, you know, I've seen Ted and Mengi play a number of times for the, for the under-18s and the under-21s, and I, and I think he's somebody who's got real potential. But again, the current situation at Manchester United is you don't want to put someone like that who hasn't been in that environment um, into the spotlight at such a difficult time when Manchester United aren't guaranteed winning football matches. So it's a really long answer to your question, which is right. I, th- I think they've missed a trick not getting a centre-back. Just somebody that would allow and unlock uh, Harry Maguire into the player that we have seen on occasions, but certainly seems to be struggling at the moment without, I think, people he trusts around him. And I mean by that, I mean... You know, players he trusts rather than the kind of people he trusts. Yeah, it does seem a bit disappointing yeah. and a bit baffling that we didn't go for a, a centre-back. Um, I mean, it feels like deja vu here, but the rumours regarding Maurizio Pochettino still keep coming up. We still, you know, I remember speaking to you, it feels like years ago, I think, I think, I think even when Van Hal was manager, Maurizio Pochettino was linked with Manchester United. Those rumours aren't going away. Um how secure do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position is at Manchester United at the minute? Do you think he still has that sort of the Pochettino thing hanging over him? Do you think there is a real oh, sort of danger? I think, I think you're right, Jay. I think it's certainly hanging over him. I, I mean, what I'm amazed by is that we're, we're still talking and Maroc, uh, Maurizio Pochettino, sorry, hasn't got a job. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by that, that he isn't playing, uh, sorry, coaching a team somewhere else in the world or somewhere else in Europe. And that kind of starts people thinking, I guess, conspiracy theories about where the conversations might be had. I don't, I don't think they have. I think Oli retains the support of Manchester United's kind of hierarchy. I don't think, you know, one bad performance or result against Spurs will change that. But I think equally, he will have looked at the last couple of weeks and think, A, I, I need to show a change. I need to show something positive going into a game like Newcastle at the weekend. But equally, I've got a situation where many of my key players aren't there, aren't playing for me. My new signing, Cavani, can't play at Newcastle. Alex Tellez has been in uh, Brazil, so, so may not be in the right condition to even play um, at St James's Park on Saturday. So it kind of limits his options. But as far as I'm concerned, all the noises coming out of Old Trafford, uh, that, that he, you know, he's being supported. And I think it's fair to say that I think you know the overwhelming majority of people I speak to, because of what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done, not only last season, which I think was amazing, and I think he probably hasn't gotten a credit for three semi-finals and finishing third, but clearly what he achieved as a player, I think gives him an awful lot of goodwill, more goodwill than the likes of Van Gaal and Mourinho would have had. But equally, that goodwill doesn't go on forever. And he knows that as well. He knows it has to be about results and progress. And based on what we've seen so far this season, the results haven't been good enough. The progress hasn't been good enough. And you can't see that gap between Manchester United and Manchester City and Liverpool being closed on the evidence of what we've seen, can you?
No, you, you can't. I mean, the, I mean there, there has been rumours or talk, and again, I don't know how sort of concrete these are, that maybe there's a situation where Ollie could be moved into a different role. Do you see, do you see any weight in that? Do you think it's either he's going to keep his job or move on, or do you think there could be a... I won't say a happy medium, because I don't think it is a happy medium, but a situation where he may maybe moves into a director of football role or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it right now, because I, I, I don't think I'd go for it if I was him, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so clearly he has different thoughts on that. And he, he loves being part of Manchester United. He loves being the manager of your football club. That doesn't mean he, 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 that makes him deserving of that rank or, or gives him more of an argument than you and I being part of that job. But I think... Clearly, you know, to take him out of that and put him somewhere else would, would be a difficult thing pride-wise. I don't, I don't think it would work for Manchester United. And I think what's interesting about this is it has kind of opened up the debate about director of football. And I think United have got to kind of examine that really, really carefully and work out what it means to them, bearing in mind that they've not had one uh, and some of the recruitment issues they've had. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, whatever Manchester United say about what happened in the transfer window, it wasn't the transfer window they prepared for. It wasn't the ones that the, the Manchester United fans expected. And we're left in a situation where, although I love wingers, I was a winger, I love people who can run fast, cross the ball and make you excited. You know, there's an argument to say it wasn't what Manchester United needed in this window anyway, whether it's Jaden Sancho or whether it's Palistri or whether it's uh, Diallo. You, you know, do you need any of those players when you've got someone like Mason Greenwood who can play on the right? And the necessity, I think, as you, as you quite rightly said, would have been to spend some cash on a centre-back. There are a lot of kind of unanswered questions from the transfer window. I'm excited that some really good young players have signed for Manchester United, and that's great. I think Cavani, you know, could be uh, someone like Zlatan or a Henrik Larsson, but clearly the fears are he becomes um, you know, a Sanchez or someone like that. Uh, and equally, I think Tellez is probably someone who can improve the, the options there. But I think in terms of Manchester United only going to Solskjaer, I think he's manager. I don't see him being anything else you know, when or if the decision is made to take that role away from him. And as I say, I don't think there's any indication that that's going to happen anytime soon. Yep. So, as you basically just mentioned, if you look at the transfer window in its entirety, what is the realistic expectation for United this season? Cool, that's a really good question. That's probably one that I'm going to ask Oli on Friday. It's hard to know. You know, I, I actually thought there'd be some momentum from last season. I, I don't know about the two of you, but I saw some real things there where, yeah. whereby... The positives were that Manchester United got their belief back. They seemed to shore up some uh, of their defensive problems. They were going to score goals and they were a goal threat throughout the team. Now, the problem seemed to me on the outside looking in, um, Oli knew his 11, trusted his 11, but ran them into the ground. And I, and I don't think perhaps that 11 have recovered from that. And I think you then look at the quality of the options he's got and wonder why he hasn't changed it around, why Donny van der Beek hasn't been playing or hasn't started a game for Manchester United. And, 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 and those sort of issues and... A lot of things don't make sense at the moment. And I think, I know it sounds as though I might be kind of towing the line a little bit and arguing on Ollie's behalf, but I, I don't think the players had enough rest. I think there's no coincidence that some of the teams that played right through into August in, in the Champions League and the Europa League uh, are the ones that are having problems, whether it be Wolves, Manchester City or, or Manchester United. But but equally, there is something odd here, isn't there? You know, Manchester United losing 6-1 at home to, to Spurs. Liverpool losing to Aston Villa 7-2. There's some strange stuff going on. And I think, I know it's not what you want to talk about, but I think the fact that fans aren't in an environment like Old Trafford, I think the ability to kind of galvanise themselves when things aren't going well, I think it's probably, you know, as much about the character of this team. And I think there is a weakness there. I think there is a little bit of a flaw and a fragileness. And I think their ability to kind of self-motivate seems to be lacking when there aren't, you know, a crowd there, when there aren't fans there willing them on to do something. And I think that's a gap that, 
he needs to look at, Manchester United needs to look at with fans, you know, not on the horizon of coming back and think, how do we kind of bridge that gap? Because we need to get these t- uh, players, when things aren't going right, to kind of pull together because they weren't pulling together against Spurs. It, you know, if anything, you know, they were lucky it was only six, weren't they? In some ways. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a horrible thing to say. Yeah, you know, strikes no. Ferguson walk into the dressing room when it was Tottenham and say it's Tottenham lads. That's the, you know, that's that's the. That's that's how I see it. That's all I need to say. Yeah. And you know, you Martial gets his penalty and you think, wow, everything's going to be all right. And then suddenly it all just goes wrong. And and you're not trying to tell me that sending off a player really affected that performance because it just seemed to me that they just down tools for whatever reason and. And it was really, really worrying. And, you know, an hour into that game, you almost wanted the referee to say, come on, let's stop this and just give the points to Spurs and, and start again. 100%. I thought at one point it was going to be like, you you know, it could have been eight or nine. Genuinely. I'm still watching, this... I'm still watching Jay. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. That, and I know, you know, I, know yeah, I can see your faces and you're peeved again, having been sort of really, really pleased about the way the club was going. But this is the, this is what makes Manchester United special from the outside. You have these huge highs and these massive lows, and there is nothing in the middle, and that's why people want to talk about it all the time. That's why they want to listen to opinions. And it, but at the moment, it seems like you said, Jay, deja vu. We're going back in cycles here at the moment. And if if ever a team needed a performance, you know, at Newcastle on Saturday, it's this Manchester United team. And then you look at last year's performance; they lost their one nil. You know, and you kind of look at the similarities here. They lost against uh, Crystal Palace. You know. Uh, yeah. It just it seems to be almost Groundhog Day, and I'd, I'd I'd love to be talking really positively and wish we could kind of reel this back to three months ago, where everything looked like it was bright. Because I'm surprised things aren't quite what they were, and I, and I thought the togetherness there was more than it actually apparently is on the evidence that we've seen over the last couple of games. In agreement, but so basically, kind of looking forward, some may argue like getting. The impact we saw from Bruno Fernandes, like as a January mid-season transfer window, is a bit of an anomaly. It's a bit rare. So how realistic is it that you think United will actually get a game-changing signing in January? Uh, yeah, I don't think it is. I, mean, I don't want to make people feel sad or blue about about January. Bearing in mind we're sort of in the middle of October at the moment, and I, and I'm, I worry that Manchester United fans have already coming <laughs> to January thinking, let's find someone who can save us. But I think they. It is an exception. It is one of those kind of blips. You don't get many kind of Bruno Fernandes popping up uh, every year. And, and, I, and I think we need to look at him as well. I think I thought, and certainly what was sold to me, is that Donny van der Beek would come in and almost be a rotation policy with Pogba and, and Fernandes and him to give basically the, the fittest or the, or the best combination for each game. We haven't seen that so far. Now, is it because Donny van der Beek isn't match fit? Is it because he's not trusted yet by... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinking, I know my 11, I don't want to change that because they delivered. Well, you know, that 11 or that 10 didn't deliver against Tottenham Hotspur. And you'd hope to see, I think, from Manchester United's point of view, there might be changes on, on Saturday. But as I've said, there's no Cavani. You know, Tellers has come back from Brazil. So it might be as you were. Uh, and, and just show me that you've got some character and you've got some courage. Because, I mean, they are two things that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had as a player in abundance. And that's what he expected from his teammates right now you'd say that's the major question mark against Manchester United. Not the ability of some of these players, but I think the character um, and, and, and just how they perform when things aren't going right. Because, you know, I didn't see many people um, in that Spurs game looking around at their teammates and thinking, I need to help him out. Nobody wanted the ball. They could see what was happening. And it was a really, really worrying performance. I just want to pick you up on that, James, because me and you spoke, I remember speaking outside Old Trafford 
for about a year ago, or maybe a bit less, about leadership at Old Trafford and about the lack of leaders. And that was an issue. And we were talking and, you know, the, the evidence is there. You're losing, as you just mentioned, 6-1 at home to Spurs. And I was watching it as a fan and I was thinking, where's the leadership here? Who's taking charge of this team? Who's taking charge of the defence? Who's ch- taking charge of the just the situation and just saying, you know, come on, this is Manchester United, we can't have that. Do you think that is still a, a, a problem, the, the lack of leaders? Because, again, you know, it does feel like you mentioned Groundhog Day, we're having the same conversations, but I get that impression that there is a, a sort of a, a void there when it comes to leaders. Yeah, I, I think it's difficult. I, I think, you know, Harry Maguire is, is a leader of sorts. I don't think at the moment he's the material to be kind of captain of Manchester United. I hope that doesn't annoy too many Manchester United fans. I think... You know, I'll try and explain I that situation. Think. I think it's a big thing to come as the world's most expensive defender and into a football club. And I think, bearing in mind what happened in in Greece over the summer, I think a difficult situation and one that clearly seems to have affected him in his mentality. I can also understand from United's point of view, you take away the captaincy of United from someone like Harry Maguire because of what happened in Mykonos. It almost says, right, we believe he's guilty. So, I, so they were left with a, a, a kind of difficult thing to solve there. I think there's there's clearly. Uh, an issue or an argument, sorry, that, that someone like Bruno Fernandes should be Manchester United captain. I'm not sure, again, that works. I think he's, you know, passionate, but but I think there's probably, you know, arguably a little bit too much passion there. And then you just look around the pitch and you think, who could be captain of this Manchester United side? And I think Marcus Rashford is a candidate. But again, I think he's had his struggles and problems since becoming such a kind of big character and a big personality and a, and a proper kind of UK hero off the pitch. I don't think that's helped his his form this season. Although I've got to say, I think he started this season better than he finished last season. But I think you do look around that kind of, that group of players and think, well, where is the lead? I mean, are Jay or Ronaldo, do you, who, who do you think kind of is the man that you yeah. would like leading Manchester United? I mean, I can give you loads of options, but I'm not a Manchester United fan. Who do you think could do the job? Personally, for me, I'd, I'd like to see it being given to Marcus Rashford. I get where you're coming from. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. not just because I love Marcus Rashford and I genuinely do. Um, but, you know, he's United through and through. He is that type of player that, from what I gather, will have a word with the ref, will get in the ref's ear when it needs saying something. He's not that quiet on the pitch. And I get what you mean about his form. I don't think he's quite hit the heights, almost post-injury, that he was pre-injury. So, no, I, and I, I, I get that. I think, I think yeah. there are signs this season that's been better than last season, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think hopefully... You know, you saw it, his goal against um, Brighton, little signs that he's, he's getting there. Um, but I think regardless of, of whether he's back to his best form or whatever, for me, Marcus is someone who will always give you everything on the pitch. Even if, you know, even if his form isn't great and he's not scoring, he'll always try his best and, and give his all. And he's, he's, you know, he's united through and through. You can see that when he talks about the club, when he talks about the team. And, you know, when he, whenever he does an interview after a defeat, you can see it gets to him. No, it's I not think, perfect. I think you- no, I think you're right. If, if you had an issue, if you had to measure who cares the most about your football club who's playing for Manchester United, then it's 10 out of 10, Marcus Rashford. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that 6-1 would have hurt him, absolutely brutally hurt him. You saw he, he came out and apologised. He realised what that meant, not only to him, but Manchester United fans. And he realised it wasn't good enough. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. I, I think, you know, go on. I was interested to see what Ronaldo thinks. I, personally, I believe it's not one of those where it's remotely clear how... In teams of past, you can generally see kind of a standout leader or a standout captain. I feel like there's question marks surrounding that when you look at the United squad. Obviously, you've mentioned Marcus Rashford. He's still, what, 23 years old? 22. Approaching that, 22, approaching 23 very soon. 
is a young lad and being captain of United is a lot of weight on your shoulders. So it's one of those where, which we've probably seen in recent times that Rashford could actually, he can deal with the pressure. But um, I think when you want to be looking at a captain for somewhere like United, you're looking at, in the past, you're looking at likes of Roy Keane, etc. We haven't really got any of that in the squad now. So I'm not sure who can pretty much stand out and say, yeah, he's definitely Man United captain. I feel like this question mark surrounding pretty much anyone being it, but as you said, Harry Maguire has has some leadership qualities, but um, he feels like he's buckling under the pressure a little bit. So I'm not quite sure. I feel like you have to get back to me at some point, but we're all kind of struggling to name a, a candidate. Yeah. There is a problem. There is an issue there with who should be captain of Manchester United, but also, you know, it, it's bad that we're talking about. A Manchester United captain having the ability to galvanise the people around him. It should be enough that you're pulling on that shirt. That should be all the motivation you need yeah. because the three of us wouldn't have any problem with motivation if someone said, here's a Manchester United shirt, you're playing against Newcastle at the weekend. And I think that's the kind of disconnect that, that a lot of fans can't quite understand or, or come to terms with at the moment. You know, that this is a side, a bunch of players that shouldn't need somebody to kick them and encourage them. They should have that in abundance on their own. 100%, 100%. In the past, as you mentioned, you know, we've always had leaders, regardless of whether they've had the armband or not, all the great United teams have had, you know, almost 10 captains in the way that, you know, you look throughout the team. There's been Keane, there's been Skulls, there's been, you know, there's been Vidic, there's been Rio, there's been Giggs, there's been Neville, there's been Evra. And I know these people have captained United one time or other, but you've always had that sort of core leader. And now it's like, like you say, you know, it's almost a, who's the, the, the least worst option rather than who's the best. You talk about all those people and I think, you know, leadership's really important, but I think what all those people you mentioned had in common is they set standards. So it wasn't just about the kind of behaviour aspect or the leadership aspect. It was how they played and carried themselves on the pitch. And, and, and I think that that's something that this Manchester United side need perhaps more than people barking orders. Someone who just takes the, a game, if you like, by the scruff of the neck. It was what Roy Keane used to do because he, he carried people with him. It wasn't necessarily that he was going to kill them or, or all the kind of fright thing that he put on them. It was the fact that, blimey, this guy, you know, he's, he's not going to play in a European Cup final, but he's going to make sure that Juventus get beaten in the semi-final to get Manchester United there. It's, it's that kind of thing leading by example. I think what we've seen over to 2020, which must be the weirdest year on, on, on record, certainly in our lives, is that when things are going well at Manchester United, it looks like a fun place to be and it was great leading up to those three semi-finals and finishing third in the Premier League. And yet, you know, it's an, another cliche I'm going to trot out, but you find an awful lot about yourselves in a team when things aren't going well. And you've got to say that some of the answers that they're coming up with at the moment are really, really worrying. And you kind of think, you know, is it a case that the more money that is spent on this team, the more characters that are being brought in, the more world-class players, the bigger the problems become? Because it does seem that way at the moment, albeit, you know, we're at the start of a really weird season as part of a weird year. And if they go and play against Newcastle and beat Newcastle well, then, then maybe it's back on track. But you've got to say, although they've got one Premier League win already against Brighton and Hove Albion at Brighton, they didn't even deserve to win that game. No. Um, worse. No, yeah, it could have been. And it sounds really bad, this. It sounds awful. Yeah, you know, I've got to remind in League One and they're top of League One, which I'll be telling everybody about that. But, um, you know, your face is just to tell the story. It's just like, oh, come on. Come on, oh, You've got to be, you've got to be realistic, though, haven't we? I mean, we the last seven years. Uh, yeah, we can't, uh, we can't be too delusional. Um, just quick, quickly, um, on the, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you sort of touched upon, you don't see sort of a big 
game-changing signing coming in in January. There's already, I mean, it sounds bad, we've just finished the transfer window, but as you mentioned, United fans are already looking at January and saying, <laughs> who can we get? Um, you said there won't be a big game-changing signing, or you don't think there will be, so I'm guessing that you can forget about a Jaden Sancho rumour again this summer. Well, not a rumour, but Jaden Sancho in yeah, January. Yeah, I mean, look, I think if, if, if big surgery has to be done in, in January, I think there'll, there'll be the will to do that. You know, uh, I, I've got to say, and I, I know I'm pretty alone in this and, and, and people don't like me for saying it, I, I admired the ethics of, of not writing a £100 million check for Jaden Sancho. I said I didn't think Manchester United would do that when last time we spoke and, I, and, I, and I'm supportive yeah. of the fact they didn't do that. What, what worries me slightly, having kind of waved a big flag saying, look at the principles of, of not paying £100 million for Jaden Sancho, suddenly the whole big picture thing and thinking, well, the, again, the two don't don't marry up, bearing in mind we're talking about ethics on one side and maybe opportunism on the other. But, you know, putting that all to one side, I think if Manchester United needed to buy players uh, in January or a player, a big player like that, there would still be the will to do that. I think, you know, we, we've got to see um, what Polistri is like. I think from what I'm told, he might be somebody who is on the periphery of the first team squad and they'll take him through. I think Ahmad Diallo could be someone really special, judging by the sort of people I've spoken to in Italy. And I think, I know, again, we're waiting to January, so maybe he could be that player that kind of unlocks things, but there's a lot to expect from a, an 18-year-old coming to the Premier League, having played three or four times so far for Atalanta. So I think next summer will, will be more intriguing. And certainly the kind of impression I get is that Manchester United would probably go back into the water for Jaden Sancho, bearing in mind, however, that there'll be more fish circling because, you know, it would be a, a cheaper deal to do because he'd have one year left on his contract. And I think, equally, I think they will be in the market for a centre-back. But um, it, it's really hard. You know, United over the last three transfer windows, I think they've spent anybody else, uh, more than anybody else in Europe in terms of the, the kind of net spend, right? i.e. players in and out. And yet, you know, they seem to be in a bigger mess than they were than the last time we spoke before uh, this summer's window. So... It doesn't seem to me that spending's the answer. And what I, I, I do think, and I want to try and be positive because I'm, I'm a positive person who tries to do the, the whole glass half full. I think the foundations of your club are good. I think there are, there are better people working in the academy. I think there are improvements there. There are good young players there. I think what's interesting is, is just what, what that kind of pathway looks like from you know being told these are the best players in Europe. We're, we're getting them from left, right and centre and bringing you into Manchester United. Well, I think a lot of Manchester United fans would like to see that that process happen a little bit quicker of getting them into a first team squad. And maybe, maybe although, you know, Ted and Mengi isn't one of those players they've handpicked from across Europe, maybe he's the start of that process because certainly people at Manchester United are talking really big about him. And he seems um, somebody who's grounded, who understands the opportunities he's got and, you know, has shown on, uh, as the basis of the under 18s and the under 21s that, that he's a leader. I'm not saying making Manchester United captain. But he, but he might be someone who knows his own mind. And, I, and, and at the moment, I, I question whether some of these United players, once they get on the pitch, do know what's expected of them and, and do know their own minds. No, that's a fair yeah. I'm really excited yeah. about Teren Menge as well. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on yeah. that. I think you're right about, obviously, you know, you can't rush him in now. But certainly from what I've seen and from what I've sp- people I've spoken to have seen a lot of him, you know, he seems like the real deal. And there's a lot of excitement around him. And, uh, you know, in a position that we do need... <laughs> A player like that in as well. Um, just one question for me, final question for me. Um, you mentioned there about um earlier on, you mentioned about the fans not being in the ground. And I mean, where do you think we are with that? I mean, there's a lot of frustration from United fans that we can't get in the ground. I know there's frustration for fans everywhere, but especially with the, the way the results have gone. How far do I think we are away from seeing fans in the ground in the Premier League? Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. I you know, I keep asking that question of people of all levels. And I think you know the one thing we have to recognise 
chatting now is there's an awful lot of work going in at Manchester United as there has in Rochdale, where I was last week. You know, a lot of man hours going into coming up with plans to make fans safe in stadiums and suddenly being told, you know, a week before they thought that might happen, it wasn't going to happen, was a real kick in the teeth. I think with everything that's going on at the moment, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I've got um, a real soft spot for a team in Northern Ireland called Larn, who got a fantastic result last night against Crusades. That means <laughs> nothing to you. Um, but it was like one of their big, big results. They had, they had 700 people at their stadium last night. You know, and, and the difference watching online uh, that that made not only to the atmosphere of the game and watching it, but also to the players. The fact that they can kind of get something from the crowd. There are reactions, even sway referees, which, you know, is an old Trafford kind of benefit, if you like. None of those things are going on right now. And I, I can't see a situation where, where fans are let in, especially when, you know, everywhere else is kind of screaming that things are getting worse and worse and worse. And we're, you know, uh, albeit in Greater Manchester at the moment, we're tier two, but you know, perhaps inevitably tier three down the road or even a lockdown. I, I, but, you know, the, the, again, the question is whenever other people can seem to do it safely, uh, and we're talking about, you know, almost a non-professional league in Northern Ireland, albeit Lana, a professional team, they managed to get six or 700 people in properly safe in a tiny ground. You know, it's not a sophisticated, world-class 21st century ground like Old Trafford is or like the city of Manchester Stadium is or like Anfield is. You know, so uh, it, I, I find it really, really frustrating. But I can also understand the things I've been told that, you know, it, it's almost controlling the controllables. You can control people inside the stadiums. I think that the worry is transport to and from uh, and just people outside the stadiums kind of, you know, being together uh, and breaking this whole social distancing thing. So I can see powerful arguments either way. It's just frustrating seeing the fact that some people are getting fans in and, and getting the benefit of that. And those fans equally are getting to see their football and the rest of us are, are watching on laptops and televisions. No, it's, it's especially yeah. when you saw this. I know it's not completely related, but, you know, we saw the scenes. It was in the Palladium with an evening with Arsene Wenger. And it's just, <laughs> you're looking at it going... Really? Is that? Yeah, we just know? we just wonder what matters. What are the rules here? You know, and I don't want to get into Royal Albert Hall and grouse shooting, but you know, just mention those kind of two things. <laughs> you know, no fans in football. You know, uh, the only thing I'm pleased about is I've mentioned my my little team of Larm, which you're now educated. And I want you to work out, have a look about. Yeah, I remember that. that now. I remember that. I know. I didn't see well, anyone coming. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> the last night they were incredible. Four 0 against one of the best teams in Northern Ireland, who played against Wolves in the Europa League uh, last season. So, up the um, line. Rides, so yeah, up the line exactly. Up the line. You'll be smiling at least because yeah, well, this is it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. watch any see some goals and a win. Um, <laughs> might be yeah. the way forward. No, but. Now, in what finally, what seems like almost like a bit of a non-question, how would you basically sum up the mood like around the club? Um, is there any truth around Bruno Fernandes being unhappy with Ole? Is there any truth to that, or is that basically just rumours? Well, obviously, we saw a bit of the drama and the controversy surrounding him being taken off at half time and different reports. Yeah, but, I mean, um, I, I, you know, a lot of people saying different things. I, I think. There's an argument, and you're going to say, well, he's trotting it out, he's fudging his answer to a, a non-answer to a non-question, if you like. Yeah. Um, if, if Bruno Fernandes wasn't annoyed by that performance, then there's a serious problem with Manchester United. All of those players should have come off, not necessarily having a go at the manager, but having a go at each other about some of the standards that you expected of a Manchester United team, which weren't delivered in any way, shape or form. So I think you know, it's inevitable there were words said there. If it was a quiet dressing room, then there, there really are deep problems. At Manchester United, so I think probably words were said, but whether they were directed at Oli or not, or whether it was just sheer frustration, I think he's shown enough 
in his time at Manchester United to show he cares. And I think whether he cares quite about Manchester United in the same way as, say, Marcus Rashford, he hasn't been here very long, or whether he cares about the reflect- effect it has, the reflection it makes on him, or the fact that he wants to win football matches. That's why he's come to the Premier League. That's why he's come to Manchester United. All of those are good reasons for why I think he probably was upset. And I think, you know, what we said in this kind of discussion about leadership and captains is, you know, maybe there weren't enough people at halftime against Spurs having their say, having a go and talking passionately about what Manchester United should be achieving on the pitch rather than what they were kind of serving up uh, against Tottenham Hotspur. In terms of the mood, I think it's really difficult. I mean, you know, the the transfer window wasn't great in the sense that everybody wanted, for whatever reason, uh, Jadon Sancho. That didn't happen. I think Manchester United kind of left all their eggs in one basket and then had to move very quickly. Albeit, I think that the targets they brought in were people they'd been looking at. I don't think it was a question of suddenly grabbing a guide and thinking, right, we need him, him or him, although it might have appeared like that simply because the business was done so quickly. I think especially with Polistri and I think um, with, with, with Toure, the two wingers, I think they're, they're players that have been looked at extensively by Manchester United and I think they realised they had to do something and, and fill that position, bearing in mind they'd said that right wing was going to be this all-important position for this window. And I think that thing, you know, the, the whole Spurs thing carried into the window, so it became like, oh, grief, what are they going to do? And then because it wasn't perceived to be enough and because you've got to say that Cavani might be a risk and Tellers we don't know anything about. So of the four, Tellers is probably the best option. Uh, we're hoping, of course, that, that Cavani proves to be a, as good a 33-year-old as, as Latam was at 34 or Henrik Larsson was at, at 36. But there's an unknown to that. So I think the, the mood right now is... We're probably back where we were, you know, to use that phrase, Groundhog Day, where we were in October last year, where where people were wondering, where's this Manchester United team going to go? Um, what's Oli all about? Uh, you know, and how does he kind of change it around? What's the direction here? Because, you know, as I say, leading up to the end of last season, it, it just felt as though a lot of things were being answered. And now we're, we're asking the same questions again. And I think, you know, it, as I've said before in this conversation, you know, Manchester United need to stand up at Newcastle United on on Saturday night and prove what they're about and prove that that whole Tottenham thing is out of their system. And I think the difficult thing of, to do that is the fact that those many of those key players haven't been here with the ride back tomorrow on Thursday or Friday going into a game where I think people are expecting an awful lot, you know. And uh, I know it's not a popular thing that it's a it's a pay per view game on Saturday night, but you couldn't have better ingredients for people watching. The haters will want to hate because they want to watch and see Manchester United struggle again. And the United fans, whilst watching through their eyes, will want to be proved wrong after a seriously bad weekend two weeks ago. Absolutely. Definitely expecting a reaction, isn't it? I'm always loath to use the word word must win because I think when you you say (laughs) that and then you don't win, win, you know, then people say, well, I thought that was must win. But it does have that feel, doesn't it? It does have a feel like it really does, but then, but then you look at the fixtures you got next, and you think, "Blimey!" I ne- are running the next couple of months, looks. You know, because you just can't. Where everybody else is playing, yeah, PSG is not easy. Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton. Look at me! Look at you know. As I said, you you know you didn't deserve to beat Brighton, Hope Albion. There's always the Palace at all. There's always the Carabao Cup. Do you know right? <laughs> <laughs> Pep will tell you that. Pep always trying to it's a, it's a trophy. Don't don't forget the trophy. That's it. That's it. I tell you what, I'll take any trophy in a minute. Um, but I think you know, and I know you're trying to wrap up, and quite rightly. But I think it does take no you back problem. to kind of a a semi final, uh, so the final semi final thing with with the FA Cup, and thinking, look, why did you not go for that? Why didn't you get a trophy in the bank? You know, bearing in mind you'd already got your Champions League, you didn't need the Europa League. 
get that trophy in the bank and also bank a little bit of faith. And Because I think because of that, although last season was a big achievement, it's kind of, oh, well, you know, in the league, it was great. It did everything that we wanted it to do and, and not more. But when it came to the crunch, we couldn't deliver that trophy. And I think that would have given Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a little bit more time because it feels right now as though even the people that are behind him in terms of the Manchester United support are thinking, hang on a moment, what direction are we going in here? No, I think you make a great point, James. I mean, no Manchester United fan I know is happy with three semi-finals. You're just not. not and, you know. and I don't think he is either, but that's what I didn't understand because he knew how much winning meant to Manchester United, how much winning trophies meant to him as a player. And I can't quite work out what that team was all about in the semi-final and why it didn't take them through to a final that, that they could have won. They could have beaten Arsenal. I've got no no you know doubts about that. That was a, that was a trophy that was up there to win. 100%. And it, it, it seems that Arsenal are, are looking a lot more positive under Arteta and with that trophy under the belt. I know they're not in the Champions League, but they've got a trophy. You know, Aubameyang signed on his deal, I think. You know, there's, there's a real air around there that things are on the up at United. Sorry? Party, I know you're upset about that as well. Oh, that's get started on Summer's party. We'll be here all day. Um, I'm going to have to delete a lot of sweets, I think, when he signed for Arsenal. Um, <laughs> James, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the channel. You always come on I, here. I, I just few wish it could have been more positive. I'm sorry, guys. Just, no, we'll, we'll, you did the best you could do with what's going on, to be honest with you. It almost feels like we could just replay the old interview next, next, in the next game. <laughs> I was not better last time round, so go and do that. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's the same thing all over again. Um, but no, we appreciate you coming on. It's been great chatting to you. Jay, thanks very much, Ronaldo. Love to see you. All right. See you in a bit, man. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers, Cheers, James. So that was James Cooper from Sky Sports. Ronaldo, it wasn't too cheery, but we didn't expect him to be, did we, to be honest with It wasn't you. too cheery, but it was very realistic. A lot of realism in there, man. A lot of realism. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned, we'll be going, uh, we'll be looking ahead to the Newcastle game and we'll have the watch along and all the fan cams from that as well. I've been Jay. That's been Ronaldo. This has been the Tier 1 Transfer Podcast. Big thanks again to James Cooper. Don't forget to hit like, share and subscribe. Thanks for watching. Sports Social Podcast Network.